1: Welcome to the Get Fit Guy's quick and dirty tips to get moving and shape up. My name is Brock Armstrong and I'm the Get Fit Guy. Some of you out there might be wondering, how can menopausal or perimenopausal women exercise to avoid what is often referred to as the middle age spread? Well, today I brought in an expert, triathlete and Dr. Tamson Lewis to find out what you should be doing. A while ago, a listener wrote to me and asked me a question that was, well, decidedly beyond my area of expertise. It was a question about menopause. And seeing as I'm neither a doctor nor a woman, I decided I needed to call in an expert to tackle this question. Now, the question went like this. I have just started the menopause and would really like to keep trim and lean and keep my muscle tone up. Is this realistic, or is middle age spread inevitable, and should I just accept that I will now have a rounder, softer body than I used to? I've also noticed that there are very few women my age at the gym lifting weights. Now, that's why I brought in today's guest. And I actually met today's podcast guest, Dr. Tamsin Lewis, when she was racing, and indeed winning, Ironman triathlons. She has since become an expert in the field of aging and hormones, which made her the perfect guest for this topic. Now first, a little bit about Tam. Dr. Tamson Lewis, or Dr. Tam, is an Ironman athlete and an MD who trained at King's College in London. She first became interested in the role of hormones in health and disease, as well as in their optimization when she was competing as an athlete. In 2014 she completed her athletic career after becoming pregnant and soon after she dove into the field of endocrinology and the role of hormones dr tam began working at a clinic in london called the center for health and human performance which worked closely with a bio identical hormone clinic it was there that she truly started to understand how impactful hormones were in terms of both physical and mental aspects of health and wellness Then when I reached out to Dr. Tam and asked her if she would be willing to join me on the podcast today to discuss this topic, she immediately and wholeheartedly responded saying that there is a dearth of information around menopause and menopausal athletes and the role of hormones, more specifically on health and longevity and health outcomes. So needless to say, she was happy to come on the show. Now, as you'll notice, in our conversation, we broke down the most important and actionable tips into three buckets. The first one being nutritional strategy, things like reducing simple carbs and increasing protein intake. And the second one is the supplementary strategy, things like discussing with a trusted physician the possibility of introducing bioidentical hormone replacement or maybe just some supplements. And the third one being lifestyle strategy, which is more my jam. Things like increasing the amount of resistance or strength training, specifically on those larger muscle groups. Choosing physical activities that are enjoyable and actually contribute to your happiness and lower your stress. Also things like sleeping well and focusing on restorative practices like yoga, Pilates, or breathwork. Now, I won't give everything away. Let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Tam. I'm gonna hearken back to a question that I actually received specifically from one of the listeners. I guess a good place to start would be to answer that first question, because I think we can answer that quite quickly, of is Tess right? Is this middle age spread inevitable?
2: Um, I don't think anything in life is inevitable, is it, apart from death and taxes? Who is it that said that? <laughs> Um, I think it's it's certainly more common, and it's certainly that people come to me um, to help explore in terms of if there's any answers for why I'm suddenly gaining weight, I haven't changed what I'm eating, I'm mostly doing the same exercise, but certainly... Once you approach that menopausal transition, the shift in the hormones absolutely makes you more prone to storing weight. So there's two things here. You can either adjust the way you exercise or you should adjust the way you exercise. And we'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. And also you can alter this hormonal milieu, as they call it, by, you know, through strategic dietary approaches and also potentially using in a safe and medically guided manner you know, hormones, bioidentical hormones, so effectively replacing what your body is running out of or or is imbalanced in. Talking more about the perimenopausal state, which can certainly be from anything from mid-30s onwards, where you become this ratio of oestrogen progesterone changes. Oestrogen tends to make you store fat. It tends to make you more like prone to being, this is when you have excess oestrogen. It tends to make you feel bloated it can make you store fat specifically in the female um, dominant shape so that you know around the around the hips and the waist and the breasts. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, I, I could I could explore the chemistry all day, but I guess we need to look at the answers here. And I think for the menopause, when the, the timing is important, so classically medically, the menopause is defined of the absence of men- menstrual cycles for a period of one year. But you know, the, the perimenopause is that years before that perhaps even up to 10 years, five to 10, classically around five years of, of hormonal changes. And that's, as I've said, usually characterized by this fluctuation of estrogen levels, either in an estrogen dominant picture or in a, in a low estrogen and progesterone picture. So once you, once you reach the menopause, if you've been characterized you know, medically or by yourself as not having any menstrual cycles for approximately one year, then you, have, you could probably make the decision that means that you will have categorically very little oestrogen, circulating oestrogen and progesterone. Now, that can lead to a situation in the body where, um, which changes up its preferen- preference for fat storage so it also changes up the function of cortisol. So theoretically, and I know we're going into a lot of detail here, but your body does become more prone to storing weight around the middle. I've mentioned a few things here. I've mentioned the role of estrogen in in its being dominant and it's, in its problems with high estrogen. So in the menopause, there'll be very low estrogen. You've gone through the ovarian senescence, as we call it, which is where the ovaries stop producing estrogen. So estrogen levels will be low. Oestrogen is such an important hormone, but it needs to be at the right level. In the menopause, your levels are going to be too low. So we need a certain amount of oestrogen to drive healthy fat metabolism. And also it's protected to, to the brain, to the cardiovascular system and to bones. So I guess if we just back up a little bit and, and to answer the question here, is it inevitable that your body shape changes? In most cases, it is inevitable. There are things you can do to, to, to make that inevitability less pronounced. So for example, she mentioned that very few people uh, she sees in in the you know, in the older ladies lifting weights. And there's two reasons behind that. One, I feel, and you may you can disagree or agree here, that one needs to feel strong in order to lift weights to start with. It, it's almost like mm. it precludes you, you you know, I go to the gym or I do I feel a bit too weak to do that and therefore I'll avoid it. Um, So there needs to be a graded approach to weight. I don't like the word lifting, but weight, you know. Yeah,
1: it sounds like bodybuilding or something, but yeah, resistance training. How about that?
2: Resistance training. So I think there's got to be a balance between some intensity, some weight training, uh, resistance training. So anything that puts the muscles under strain and encourages a strengthening response. So the the, the cardiovascular endurance, stroke intensity, and then the resistance, and then also restorative exercise which is often neglected and that's more of the yoga pilates breath work etc i think there needs to be a balance of all three now i'm trying to get this into a system whereby your by by your listeners can understand because it's 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 complex
1: it is it's very it's complex
2: in terms of the physiology and then it's complex in terms of the individual's response to the shifts in physiologies and that depends on genetics it can depend on obviously environment if you you know the healthier you are in terms of eat sleep move relax the less likely you are to suffer from the consequences of fluctuating oestrogen which Mm. is characteristic in the perimenopause so there's the period around the menopause and as i said a few times and then there's the menopause which is the decline in hormone levels you are less likely to respond to an exercise stimulus in a low hormone milieu. So if you're, if you're in the menopause, you have less of the driving molecules, hormones, which augment the adaptation to the exercise. So we know testosterone is one in men and women. Yeah. You do retain some degree of testosterone in the menopause because the adrenals produce it, but levels tend to decline. Um, and that's why measurement and understanding your levels of hormones are important. Estrogen levels definitely drop, and estrogen is important, like I said, it in excess it, it can it enhances fat storage, but even when it's too low, that also affects metabolism via a number of nuance pathways. So having some estrogen is definitely beneficial to muscle strength uh, and body composition, which is why I often advocate for bioidentical hormone replacement
1: would you suggest that that's the first thing that that people should focus on in terms of like if you start to notice this this change obviously you want to do it quickly
2: i think you need to make a decision quite early on like where you stand ethically um on using hormone replacement therapy so understand whether you or or speak to someone that you trust to explore that with yeah. you the other way to look at this is is to obviously look at ways to improve other, other hormone systems in the body to kind of take over the role of estrogen, for example. We know that protein intake is important if you're looking to retain muscle mass. And if you retain muscle mass, mm-hmm. this is lean body composition, you're retaining insulin sensitivity, which is going to directly help with fat um, accumulation around, around the abdomen. So methods to improve insulin sensitivity, time-restrictive feeding, Cycling low periods, uh, periods of low carbohydrate. So improving insulin sensitivity is one big factor. And one of the ways you can do that is by the dietary strategies, but also doing the lifting in the gym, specifically for the quads, which are the one of the biggest muscles in the body. Mm. So that are, you know, having good form, doing deep squats, doing functional movements, using the fun- functional movements, lunges, etc. That definitely helps. So it's, it's, it's a cause and effect here. Um, it's almost like, you know, if your hormone levels are low or your hormone levels have shifted, which is what happens in that transition, you know, you go from having hormones to not having hormones and therefore the drivers of strength and a lean body composition have fallen off a cliff, right? So you have to work harder to maintain the body composition that you had in the presence of hormones. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. Not to say you can't do it, 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 you are your body shifts to a more more prone to fat storage, more prone to lower a lower muscle mass. and the ways to overcome that are actually doing the weight training, doing periods of, of, of ensuring you have enough protein intake because the protein is, is, is the, the precursor to driving the muscle growth. and this is we're aiming at the sort of 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram. It's probably more than you think. Sometimes you you must have a view on this, yeah. though, Brock. That's this is your area.
1: Um, well, the the nutrition side of things, I I dabble in a little bit, but I know that on our Quick and Dirty Tips network, we have the nutrition diva who's talked about the protein intakes and the benefits. And you mentioned something um, earlier on about using getting your quads involved in the exercise that you're doing because they're the biggest, one of the biggest muscles in the body, if not the biggest muscle in the body. Now, why is that important to, to be concentrating on using those big muscles?
2: Because they're such metabolically, they're so metabolically active. The, the stronger they are, the more the more dense they are, the more metabolically active they are. And that helps clear glucose from the system quicker. That that's about the level of, of of detail that I know, but I know that working on the quad muscles and the glutes and the and the and, and the lower body muscles means that muscle bulk is protecting us from it, it. It has a longevity benefit for a number of reasons, but one is because it can clear the the metabolic the high metabolic activity of the muscle helps clear glucose out of the blood, and therefore it's not able to have adverse effects. It's more prone to going in and being stored as glycogen. Secondarily, the stronger your leg muscles are, the, the less prone you are to frailty generally. So those are two of the mechanisms.
1: Those A lot of the stuff that you just mentioned there in terms of the benefits of that, I've also heard benefiting diabetics as well, especially type two diabetics, getting the those big muscles working harder, increasing the insulin sensitivity. So it's, it's interesting that uh, the same things that can benefit Uh, somebody who's in menopause also can can work for for diabetics as well well
2: i think it's a general physiological um i'm probably using the wrong word here but it's it's a principle right i mean we blood glucose regulation is one of the main drivers of dysfunction and uh, disease as we age and diabetes is just an exacerbated form of that accelerated form of, of that and so insulin sensitivity ability to clear glucose from the blood is is a key determinant of body composition and healthy aging. So strength strength and and size of those muscles in the legs we know is protective. It's definitely an interesting principle, and it's one that I've become more aware of as being being important, that that the hardest bit is actually enforcing it, or not enforcing, it's too harsh a word, but um, enabling people to (laughs) um, do it, to actually do the exercise necessary to have longer-term benefits. You know, because it's not—it doesn't feel good. It, whatever reason you come up with, but um, getting people to squat, to lift is definitely helpful. And if they're, you know, embarrassed to be in the gym, then using more functional metrics um, or methods to to gain muscle strength in the lower limbs is is good. I often do like, you know, step ups in the park on a, on, a, on a log or a bench or, you know, things like that. Things that people, you know, what perhaps wouldn't find as intimidating as getting into the gym and, and doing uh, barbell presses, etc.
0: Do you want a beautiful lawn?
1: Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Near the beginning of this conversation, we were mentioning that uh, in the question that came from the listener, that very few women her age are, are lifting weights in the gym. And that one of the things that may be contributing to that is that sort of fear or that feeling of being too weak to go and do that. And then you use the word frailty just in the last couple of minutes. And one of the side benefits, I guess, of doing um, some of this work that we were talking about, doing some of this resistance training or strength training or weightlifting or whatever you want to call it, definitely contributes and, and alleviates two of those problems. That That feeling of frailty definitely is something that I've heard reported from a lot of my my clients and friends and stuff who are in a in a perimenopausal or menopausal state, and it really becomes a, sort of a self fulfilling prophecy, I guess. At that point, you feel able. more and more frail, less and less um, able to to go and do that stuff, so you don't do it, and then you get less able, and you don't do it, so you get less able. What would be the the remedy for that?
2: <laughs> it it is a loop. It's a loop of you know, if you feel better, you're more likely to make healthy food choices and therefore that you're more likely to go and do the exercise and then it becomes a, a positive feedback mechanism. But you know, often if you don't, if people just, or not just, but if people are on the decline, I I think of this ancestrally, you know, once you, that menopausal time, everything kind of shrinks, everything kind of senesces and, you know, you are on a downward trajectory to frailty and then dysfunction and then in my interest is how you how you can you reverse engineer that, and it's multifactorial, as we've pointed out many a times here. Uh, I think improving the mood. I think there's ways to improve mood, uh, which can therefore directly affect motivation, irrespective of you whether you use hormonal precursors or hormones. And that can be light. It can be meditation. It can be improving the quality of your relationships. It can be looking at your sleep, and diet quality obviously um, but again mood mood impacts that so I'm sorry, I'm sorry if there's no easy answers yeah, here yeah, but sure. there's a multifactorial uh, you know network here of, of, of benefit cause and effect um, well
1: to, to sort of boil down what I'm what I'm hearing is uh, the first thing would be to work with uh, with your doctor with a physician to determine whether or not you you want to pursue the bioidentical hormone replacement which may be right for for some people and and may not be for others. Then the second thing would be to to, um, make sure your diet is supporting things, so increasing your protein, maybe decreasing your carbohydrate intake, your simple carbohydrates especially, um, to help with that insulin sensitivity that you were talking about and the protein to help... I guess, slow down or the the loss of muscle and hopefully actually aid in increasing muscle. And then to that same, um, to that same point, getting some strength training into your exercise program, um, not necessarily going and lifting weights and trying to be a bodybuilder of any sort, but doing things like, like you were saying, some step ups, some squats, um, using those big muscles uh, and developing more muscle. As you said, having more muscle in your body actually helps with that insulin sensitivity. It also then feeds into that mood portion, which I guess would be the next uh, thing, the sort of mental um, wellness aspect of it. If you're stronger and feeling more capable, then your mood increases, it makes it easier to make better dietary choices, it makes it easier to go out and and do the work and uh, the workouts. And it seems like everything just sort of, it really does, you said a snowball effect. And I think that that's very apt that each one of those aspects would definitely aid the other one and make everything easier and just sort of um spiral into a a, a positive overall correct yeah, functional effect.
2: Awesome.
1: Did I sum that up right? Yeah, there? no, that, that's
2: I? definitely good. I we should say that, you know, I I I do use strategic supplements because as I said, that mood pillar is very important, mood and sleep. And often the sleep goes in the menopause and then obviously you have a you know, the knock on effects of that. So, you know, there are strategic things you can do to improve brain health, um, which, um, because as estrogen levels drop, estrogen is brain protective. And if you've gone through the menopause and estrogen levels drop, we do feel that that estrogen can be protective. So that's, that's what the study shows. So, so I think that looking at these different pillars is really, is really important
1: you're no stranger to the gym or to exercise programs in general so i feel like you probably have some good uh good advice for the for the women out there yeah in terms of a, a workout routine they might be able to start working into their lives
2: yeah absolutely um i mean i i'm not a fan of the gym generally i'd much rather be outside even if it's raining i think there's additional benefits in the study say this from exercising outdoors uh, in terms of the 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 cortisol response to exercise, and also the benefits from light and nature, air, blah blah. Um, and I I feel like the gym environment isn't you know potentially that conducive to that, but you know needs must. Um, can we do, can we add in the sauna? Yeah, <laughs> I love the sauna. It's so.
1: Well <laughs> of course, yeah. All right. If your gym or your community center or whatever has a sauna take full advantage
2: definitely we know that it enhances any any exercise benefits and access to what they call an exercise proxy so you're getting effects on the cardiovascular system and brain with the caveat that if you've got high blood pressure and all the other medical and issues that you should probably ask your doctor first um but yes saunering definitely a big fan i also like the idea of, of people dancing you know doing I could speak especially the age the older age group, you know if you haven't grown up through an era of athleticism, going to the gym can be can be daunting, so I encourage you know doing things in the community, whether it's hiking whether it's um dancing all of these things have such a positive impact on emotional and physical health, which will then have an impact on your body composition. It all works as one big engine
1: all right, so we've got maybe uh sauna or. Hot baths even will right. help.
2: I said, chuck some some salts, some magnesium salts in the bath because that will help with uh, with muscle relaxation and have it. And it's a good source of magnesium, which we're all low on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then we've got what might be categorized as uh, as like cardio exercise, perhaps. Like um, you, you mentioned, hiking. You mentioned dancing, um, which are also, as you said, good for for the mood and Connected. and to just. And connectivity with other people yeah that's that's great okay so we've got got those two then we've already mentioned in terms of like strength training and doing doing some functional movement kind of stuff like maybe taking the stairs more often at uh, at work
2: taking the stairs elevators all of it without holding on to the mm. handrails I, I, it's one of my bugbears you know because it's almost like As people get older, their posture changes and therefore they then hold on to things and they all let my balance is going and they don't challenge the system. And if you don't challenge the system, your body, your brain, your nervous system, then it will inevitably decline. And it's, you know, people slowly, slowly go on that trajectory downwards. So try and challenge the system. Don't hold on to the handrail. Um, Go upstairs two at a time if you can take time to stretch and get out of your desk mm, yeah so that your you know your posture is more open you know crunch down twist all of those things you know these little things is, it really do add up to have a benefit over time
1: yeah so the mobility type of stuff
2: Mobility but it's mobility posture which then impact have an, have an impact on 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 almost on body composition because posture is related to you know the strength of the postural muscles. I'm I'm trying to get people to understand that, you know, how you move, how you do things, you know, not just when you're in the gym, but in your day to day really do have an impact on on body composition, because it changes the way you breathe, it changes the way you stand, changes the way different muscles are activated.
1: Yeah, so we've got some, some things you can throw into the day and concentrate on when you when you're just moving through through the world, and earlier on, you you mentioned something about like doing some Pilates, doing some yoga. Not only for the, the flexibility and mobility, but you mentioned breathing as well.
2: Breathing is is such a huge component of our um, of our nervous system, and we often underbreathe. You know, we hold ourselves in this kind of chronic state of tension because we breathe with our upper chest and our upper upper neck muscles, and we don't actually get a full a full lung. So I think just being aware of your breath and actually, you know, just spending a couple of minutes at your desk to do something I quite like to do is the four, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. which some people find quite hard and it might be the first time you do it.
1: So that's in for four, hold for seven, out for eight.
2: So a long out breath. And you just repeat that five times. And, you know, that, that enhances, you know, mental clarity, mental calm, it also sort of resets the nervous system right so when i talk about the nervous systems i'm talking about adrenaline cortisol those stress hormones which we haven't spoken about much here because we were focused on sex hormones but there is obviously an interplay so the higher your adrenaline your fight and flight and your medium-term stress hormone the cortisol the more likely you're the more prone you are to storing fat in um as a kind of reserve so anything you can do like breath work. um, Nature bathing is one other way. Uh, anything that stimulates the vagal nerve um, does does help reduce um, that tension and those levels of stress hormones, which means slimmer, healthier, happier.
1: The other interesting thing about um, about doing deep breathing is that it's very um, cooling to the body, and I know one of the one of the symptoms that most people complain about with menopause is the hot flash. So using the breathing in terms of uh, helping mitigate those, those hot flash moments could be very helpful and it sort of becomes a win-win-win situation in this case.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, those hot flashes are, are really difficult, um, but definitely breathing will reduce the, because it's not just the hot flash comes, and it's the hot flash, and then the response to the hot flash, which is like, oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, this is like, and so you get a stress response to the hot flash, which mm. actually, if you'd have just let the hot flash pass, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. But your body then overreacts each time it gets it. So, you know, rewiring that part is definitely helpful. So, breathing through your hot flash four seven eight.
1: And one thing we didn't mention at all yet, but I think would go really well with uh with the whole idea of getting some resistance training or strength training is bone density. As I know osteoporosis often happens in the same demographic of people who are who are going through menopause. So that's uh that's definitely a, a benefit that you could or a, 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 a potential issue that you could mitigate by maintaining that activeness, and whether it's the dance classes that we were talking about, or or doing the the yoga or the Pilates, and definitely from doing the strength training, whether it's actually lifting weights or doing body weight or elastic band resistance or anything like that.
2: Absolutely, um, I would advocate more people to have bone density checks, you know, earlier on, as it were, you know, like in your forties. If you're looking after your nutrition and you have good hormonal health throughout your you know twenties and thirties, then your your bone density is protected. So look at this not as a drop off the cliff, but also it's a period of time when you need to consider your bone health.
1: Before I let you go, Dr. Tam, can you let people know where they can find you if they want to reach out or just want to follow your your good work?
2: Um, so I'm about to launch Wellgevity, a company in the UK that does essentially a lot of what we've talked about in terms of this holistic health management, but mostly aimed at enabling the individual to understand and advocate for their own health as opposed to relying on on doctors. So really giving you the tools and techniques and insights in order that you can make better changes on the day-to-day. So that's wellgevity.co.uk. We can go there or you can follow me on Instagram when I occasionally get up there sporty doc is my Twitter and Instagram handle SP sport I E D O C. Um, yeah and I have a sporty doc website too which chronicles my athletic history which I'm no longer professional or I'm no longer competitively involved in but I learned a lot from as you know
1: yeah yeah I think both of us have a, a history of of learning a lot from things that we did right and things that we did wrong in our competitive (laughs) racing careers.
2: Yeah, really well.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the get fit guy podcast.
2: Absolutely. I think that just the takeaways is, you know, finding a, finding a support system that you can get good advice from and then deciding on on a, on a nutritional strategy, a supplementary strategy, and then a lifestyle strategy just to put them in those three buckets. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. I want to thank Dr. Tamsin Lewis one more time for coming on the podcast today and giving us all that great information. I hope it didn't overwhelm you. Now, make sure you tune in next week because we're going to look at a new study that looked into whether or not you should exercise before you eat breakfast or wait until afterwards. I think the answer may surprise you. Now, my name is Brock Armstrong. I'm the Get Fit guy, asking you, what are you waiting for? Go and look after your hormones.